Hey, good morning, Eastern Oregon, and welcome to this December 19th version of AM Live on EOA. Your connection to Eastern Oregon, and we are on the EOA network. How morning. are you, man? Morning, morning, morning. Second Monday. Second Monday. Second Monday. And it feels like a Monday. We, we had technical issues getting out of the gate, but hopefully we overcame. So, I yeah. mean, we're here, so we want We're here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got I, I, haven't, I haven't turned on my, my Facebook feed to check our audio, but hopefully well, we're good. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. How are things, man? Good. It's already the 19th, less than a week. And less than two weeks, it'll be, yeah. we'll be adding that four on to the end of the... I got Tanya's present. That's like, that's, for me, that's a, like a, a marker. At least succeeded with that. Do you normally not do it? No. I, I just... No, I normally do, but I feel good when I finally get it. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, she does so much for all of us and for me. It's like, yeah, it's one I kind of got to get right, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. So. I'm not a huge present dude, so it's like, for me, it's like, eh, eh. whatever. It yeah. That's what it is. I've always just been like more show up for, you know, like the way I show people that is by being there for them. You know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. Do you like opening presents on I, Christmas Day though? Well, it's not important. I to haven't you. opened a present on Christmas Day and since I've been married probably. Yeah. What about like when you get a present, like, uh, like on your birthday, do you get presents at all anymore? No. no. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, my mom insists on giving us money. But that's it, really. I mean, the kids will give me a card or something, but yeah. That's true. I don't. Not a I big guess present I. Dude. I mean, I guess I can't think of the last time. I mean, it was probably when grandkids got me something for Christmas or something. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the kids might get me a little something, but yeah, I don't expect it by any means. Yeah. No. I got a cookie tray, and but, yeah, contaminated fudge that I brought to your house. <laughs> Just because I don't do peppermint. And, it was and she mixed all three of them together. It was contaminated was, with peppermint. Yeah, because there, <laughs> there was nut fudge, there was regular fudge, there was peppermint. And she put all three of them in the same bag. Yeah. But I can't really complain. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been working on it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I still don't have a peppermint. I haven't gotten to a real peppermint one. There's, there's definitely pepper. I could just, just even the smell of peppermint, I can't do it. Really? I don't like that. I don't like peppermint. Yeah. Nope. I don't like candy canes. I don't like any you. Of that. You have a pretty good list of things that are like, no, not not going to tomatoes, peppermint. <laughs> pretty much. Is um, that it? Well, I I can't eat avocados. I would love to. Okay. But you're like allergic to them or something. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, it's something to do with a vinyl like or a latex allergy. There's something that's huh. in avocados that oh, is interesting. similar to latex. I don't know what it is, but. Huh. It can be, in, I, like, I sh really shouldn't eat watermelon either. Like, there's, like, something in watermelon that starts that whole process of, it always starts, like, with, like, your mouth itching, but then it escalates sometimes, and avocado escalates to, like, swelling. And, huh. Oh, and I'm allergic to uh, sulfa drugs, too. almost died from sulfa. Really? Yeah. I had a strep throat, and they gave me sulf sulfinamides. And it takes, it took like a, till a week after I was done with the, uh, 
with the with the prescription uh-huh. for it to the adverse effects. I was in the hospital. I had a temperature over 105 for three days. Huh. Up and down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, they couldn't get just pumping me full of prednisone. I was hallucinating. It was it was kind of scary. It's funny. I heard a story recently about. Uh, an older couple, he had been a farmer, he was a farmer, is a farmer, had been a farmer his whole life, and and he got stung by a bee and had no idea that how allergic. allergic he was to them. Yeah, I mean, and had it not been for some quick-thinking medical personnel, he probably would have died right I'm there. mildly, like, I'll yeah. get a big swell. The last yeah. time I was bottling cider out at my buddy's farm, and I got stung, and my arm swelled up. Nothing some Benadryl won't yeah. help, though. Some sort of antihistamine, right? Just start popping Benadryl pills yeah. and hopefully you make it. <laughs> I did go to the hospital for that one, though, because I didn't know that. You know what I mean? I had yeah. no idea. I hadn't been stung in a bee in, by a bee in so long, I had no idea. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and it swelled. like It looked like a Popeye muscle. Huh. <laughs> so they they draw that line, you know what I mean? They draw a line around it. Oh, do they? Area, uh, and then and they say if it gets, you know, if it if goes, the circle gets bigger, then that then kind of you need the, to like, yeah, come back. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you want to do sports? Let's do it. All right, take it away. AM Sports Report brought to you by Hobby Habit right here in the Grand Four Eleven First Street. Go check them out. Joe and his team are doing a great job. They've redone the inside of that building. It looks awesome in there. All new updated stuff for hobbies from Traxxas RC cars, Magic the Gathering cards to Legos. They have advent calendars. It's a little late for that, but I mean, you can still have an advent calendar for a few days. Um, yeah, my, my niece Jane, she has the Disney advent calendar and every day you get a little toy, a little figure from, from Disney and she can name every single one of them. She carries that bag around with her. So, yeah, go check out Hobby Habit here in the ground. 411 First Street, just for the fun of it. EOU men's basketball got their first two conference wins of the season this weekend over Multnomah and Warner Pack. Thank goodness. Um, these wins bring them to 2-3 and three in the CCC and 3-7 and seven overall. They're currently in Temple Terrace, Florida for the next few days. They're going to take on... University of Fort Lauderdale tomorrow, and then Florida College on Thursday, and then they're off until the 30th when they open the CCC home part of their schedule right here at Quinn on the 30th of December against C of I, a big game. C of I, I think, is ranked number five now in the country. They they spanked us in in uh, over there. They beat us by 30. And oh, man. So we need some redemption there, I think. Anytime we can beat a Kobe Blaine coached College of Idaho team, I will be happy. <laughs> the women, they they got two conference wins this weekend too. Multnomah and Warner Pack, which was big. That was their first two conference wins of the year. They're six and three overall, two and three in the CCC. They uh, they're off for all of Christmas break, so they're done until the thirtieth when they host C of I at Quinn as well. Um, those games are, I believe, one and four. So get up there and check them out at the end of uh, Christmas break. Nothing better to do. Go watch some EOU basketball. EOU men's wrestling won both their duels over the weekend, beating MSU Northern 21-18 and Wayland Baptist 33-7. Senior Kyle Knutson placed. He was the only EOU men's wrestler that placed at the Reno Tournament of Champions on Sunday. 
Um, he ended up getting sixth place, which is, I mean, that's a huge tournament with a lot of people. That's really, I mean, great job by Kyle there. Um, they're off until January 5th when they head to Arizona for three dual meets over two days, conference dual meets. The, the CCC in wrestling is weird because there's teams all over. I mean, there's Arizona teams, there's Canada, there's Montana, there's Oregon, there's, yeah, it's just, it, there's, there's a lot of traveling in, in wrestling because not all the schools have, have teams, so you got to go a little bit further. Over the weekend, Irma Rotano for EOU Women's Wrestling was the only Mountie to place in the Women's West Coast Tournament of Champions. She brought home a fourth place medal. They won't compete again until January 5th in the NWCA National Duels in Cedar Falls, Iowa. LeGrand Boys Wrestling had three placers at Tri-State over the weekend. Ridge Kerr, Tommy Belding, and Bregan Anderson with Bregan Anderson bringing home a second place medal. This is by far, I would say, LeGrand's toughest tournament of the year. Tri-State is huge. Uh, the Tigers, we all know how good LeGrand is at wrestling, and they placed 14th. So wow. think about that. They were the 14th best team at this tournament. So, wow. so that's the kind of quality that the, this tournament brings uh, to, to the table. You got Idaho, Washington, Oregon. It's called Tri-State, but there's also Montana, too. So there's actually four, four states represented, but represented but it's called tri-state and it's definitely the most toughest tournament legrand will be in all year by far um the yeah so eou eou men's basketball they they got their those two wins and it puts them in a position where i mean hope's not lost uh-huh. um, it's still kind of frustrating though from from a fan point of view like the recruiting was really good. We brought in some really good dudes, and we're just not there. And yeah. maybe, maybe it's going to take a half of a season, hopefully a half of a season, to get there. But I, I, I want to see us. You know, we, we were picked to finish in the top five in the conference. Last year, we were number two. Oh, wow. And, and the only team that was better than us was an undefeated C of I team that won the national championship in our conference. And this year, we're just not quite there yet. Hopefully, this Christmas break and this trip and just kind of reset the batteries for these guys. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll shock C of I on the 30th. That would, be, that would be awesome. Anyways, Morning Sports Report brought to you by Hobby Habit, 411 First Street in Grand, just for the fun of it. So the coach at C of I? Yeah, I can't stand him. Not one of your favorite people. He's a people. whiny. He, I seen him kick our score table one game, stomping <laughs> his foot. The game we beat them here when they were top ten. Yeah. He literally kicked the score table and stomped like a little twelve-year-old kid having a hissy fit at the refs. Yeah. <laughs> and and i we've had him on the Johnny Ball Game show before. Yeah. We 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 did a show from C of I. Oh, I remember. Remember? That. Yeah. Yeah. And he was one of our guests. Yeah. And no, nah, no. Nah. Not a fan. I don't care if you win the national championship. I don't care if you walk and you turn the ground to gold. When you act like that in, in, a, in a sporting event, like yeah. you're supposed to be a, a role model for these young men, and you're out there kicking the scores table and stomping? No. So what do you get, think of... Get out of here. What do you think of all of the celebrations uh, now in sports? I'm. It's Me personally, it's not yeah. how, how, my style, but yeah, yeah. I'm, all, I, I'm not against it. Do, yeah. what, do what you do. It's, I, just it's so not dist- my style. Like, I was never a big Yeah, fan it's just it. so distracting. I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I don't mind a high five or, a, or you know, or. There's always been celebrating. I don't mind, I, mean. I don't mind something, but like when they turn it into like, they've got a little act or they've got yeah. a little thing or, or 
And it's funny because now everybody's getting into it. I mean, so, you know, a defensive lineman gets a good tackle. Yeah. I mean, it's like, dude, it's like, okay, I'm. Hey, I'm not anti it. It's not, I, I wouldn't do it personally. It's just not really my style, but yeah. I'm not anti it. I think, you know, like. Yeah. Why not? And the other thing is, and I, I made a post, personal post about this, too. stealing the ball. That's like, a, you know. I mean, stealing the ball. I'm yeah, I mean, it's a regular routine to try and steal the football. I mean, it's not strip or punch it? it out, strip it out. Yeah, you taught that. That's yeah. part of football. No, I was. Yeah, I wasn't. You, taught as that. a defensive player, you are taught to strip the ball. I was 100%. not taught that. Yeah, uh, BC, you're wrong. Yeah, well, it's part of football. No, it's not. Uh, well, clearly, yeah. clearly, it is. Okay, a so part. wait, no, wait, you're saying no, hang on. a defensive no, no, player no, isn't no. taught to take the ball away from the offensive clearly, player? Clearly, it is a part of football. You're taught it. I was never taught. Well, that. then you must have played like one A football in Timaluk, Alaska. <laughs> yeah, all I know, it's terrible. Well, I, I, I will argue that until the, I. You ask anybody in the football world if defensive players are taught to take the football away from the offense, and they will say 100% of so, the time. So, so, so go back. So do you – Every time you're tackling, you should be ripping, trying to get okay. that ball out. Every time. Okay. So are you ready for me to ask a question? Yeah. Okay. So, like, so when – how come we don't see stripping plays from Super Bowl – Eight, nine, ten, twelve. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure the, the guys no, are going no. Tell for me, why don't we? If if it's always been a part of football, it always has. Why don't Why don't we see stripping plays? From I'm, I'm not going to argue. It's, yeah, no. it's a mute point. It really is. Like you, you talk to anybody in the sports world, especially in football. Well, it's always been a part of the game. You, well, okay, as a defensive so then player, you're question taught again. to try to take If the it's ball. always been a part of the football, I, I mean, can't answer it because I haven't watched all those Super Bowls. Right, I'm sure but I mean, was. I'm and sure I they have, were trying to get I the have. Ball. I mean, I'm just saying, I've been watching football a lot of years, <laughs> and I'm sure that it is a part of the game now, but it, it has it not always, always has been, been a part. It, 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 it always has been. You've always been taught to I, try to get the ball from the other team. I played. I played. The only way you score points is by having the ball. So why wouldn't you teach your defensive guys to get the ball? You know, from the I don't. Team? I guess I don't. Yeah, I, I still think it's cheap. I mean, it's cheap football. It, it ruins the game for me. Yeah. Wow. So. Uh, that's confusing to me. Yeah. Because, like, seriously, like, if you talk to anybody, I mean, we'll even ask Paul when he gets on here. He, that's he's a not good idea. Football dude, I don't think. Yeah. He probably knows that you're taught to take. Well, the ball hey, from so the if you team. guys are out there and you have a comment, yeah, 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 back me up because I know I'm right. Of course, you know you're right. <laughs> well, I, this time I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, please go back, Mr. Sports Guy, and find some stripping plays from I'm the sure 70s. There are. I'm or sure 80s. You know, go find some. I, I, I'm sure I'm they're gonna, out there. Go find right, some. On Thursday, I'm going to have a whole reel of them for you. Yeah. Every. Uh, so, how about, how about, let's say from. You said the, 70s and 80s. Okay. Oh, well, I'll even give you more. Let's say from the 90s and older. So, 99 all the way back? No, 90s. Like 89, 90 back. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. How many do I need for you to say, you know what, Kyle, you're right? Well, I don't. I don't 10? Yeah, if you can find ten. Ten? If you can find five. Ten plays where they strip the ball. Well, I mean, and the, the, the point is not whether they did. The point that I'm trying to make is, is this, which I think that probably the whole world out there is getting, but you might be ignoring, is this that it, it, is a, it certainly is a part of the game, but it has not always been a part of the game. I mean, the teaching 
active stripping part of it has not always been a part of the game. I've been watching football a lot of years, okay? And it certainly is now a glorified thing. And it wasn't. I don't recall it being that 20 years ago. So. Hmm. so. I mean, 20 years ago, I played and we were taught that. I played 25 years ago. How old am I? 97? 26 years ago. Yeah. I was taught to always try to take the ball from the other player. Yeah. By any means necessary, including punching, grabbing, you yeah. know, ripping, clawing, however you could get the ball. Yeah. Seriously. Like, I was taught that. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, Todd Gorham, in high school in 1983, we were taught to strip the ball. <laughs> Weird. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm gonna say that it, we're gonna. I'm gonna find ten BC. I, I, I really am because maybe maybe it's not talked about as much. I don't know, but I do know that it's it, like my knowledge of football. That's always been See, part and of your I guess, job as and, a defense. And certainly, certainly Todd is a is a very credible football person. Okay, yeah. but but I guess there there is. And certainly the things that you teach on the football field are different than what's glorified by the announcers on TV, okay? And that's what I've noticed, okay, is, is, that, is, is that now it's just a very, it's a very common part of the glorification process. I and, I don't, what, and I don't think that has always here's been what the process. I think. I, here's what I think. I, here's my take on it. I think that you're noticing it more nowadays because the athletes are bigger faster and stronger and they're more technical and 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 it sticks out more because these guys do it repetitively over there's the difference between an athlete today and in 1983 well and i 40 years This, this guy today is bigger he's faster he's stronger but he's also like the training is more specific so I think you just notice it more today. Like you notice guys in there ripping, doing certain well, techniques I mean, well, because I mean, the training well, is more and, specific. And, and visibly, we have better replays. We have better yeah, slow you, you, motion. You, we have better. In 1973, right, you might not right, be able to have right, that right, angle right, and when I, you see right, the guy grabbing the ball. Right, and I and I and I agree with that. It's just you know I don't I don't know. I just think it's anyhow. It doesn't doesn't matter. I I just think like when you have a receiver who like makes an incredible phenomenal catch and you know and he's on he's caught the ball he's secured it he's on his way down and then it just gets punched out at the last minute so it's a completed pass yeah and then it gets punched well, out as long as he makes a football move yeah so you, yeah once you catch it you have to make a football move i'm just saying yeah i mean no i understand the sequence and well so, see me personally I, I never played receiver but i know that like back in the day days yeah. Like Todd says it right here. Here's part of it right here, too. It was more important for the defensive guy to blast that guy in the next week than it was to take the ball because, A, you're, that was just part of – it was more important in football back then. And, B, the ball might come out anyways. So, as a receiver, if I was ever a receiver, I'd much rather have somebody reaching in there trying to get the ball and having to hold it than somebody no, blasting I don't. me. It's just the it's just the shitty part of it. It's just it, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's like it's not. I'm, it, I, I don't know. I just think that it's like just make the tackle. I mean, the guy caught the ball. Mm. He received it. It was incredible. You got beat. 
And so now because you got beat, you're, you're, on, you're doing I mean, everything that you the can. The flip of that is hold on to the ball. Yeah. I mean, that's something offensive players are taught. Right. No, I mean, and I do. You see guys walking around right. school when they fumbled. Yeah. The, walking around school holding the ball with their teammates trying to strip right, the right. ball and from I, them. And I certainly – I remember those drills where the running backs would run right yeah, through the, the gauntlet of the players, yeah. and, yeah, people would try and strip it out. So, all right. Well, hey, we've, like, burned up. <laughs> Half the show. So, hey, let's, let's look at the weather real quick outside. It's what it is. Windy. Give us the it's weather windy. forecast, Benny. It's crappy and windy. It's yeah. warmer today. Uh, Forty-three. Yeah. So when we when we don't have something to talk about, I should like I should just save those little nuggets to get you all riled up. <laughs> oh, yeah. just wait till Thursday when I have a whole highlight reel for you. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, we'll uh, you can come back to us, Bennett. Yeah. Um, Uh, we're going to have Commissioner Paul Anders is going to be with us right after this. We'll be right back. with Commissioner Paul Anders. All right, so what do you think about the stealing of the football? Stripping. I'm on Team Dodsey. You're on Team Dodsey? All right. (laughs) Yep, that was, again, we were taught that when we were, that was one of the first things. If you were on defense, not only did you key on the ball to know, you know, how to defend, but uh, you went for the ball every single time. Yeah. And well, if you did make that, if you did get a takeaway, the prey, the, you know, yeah, it was the best deal. thing you can do on defense is yeah. force a fumble or intercept a ball because you're giving your team an opportunity to score. Well, and, yeah. and, and I certainly get, I mean, yeah, when you had a tackle and your helmet was right on the ball and it popped out as they went down, that's like, that was a win-win, you know. So, and I, and I, I saw what Todd's saying is how so that since they've, since they, since you can't lead with your helmet, I mean, they're trying to decrease the amount of impact in tackles, then that's how they're compensating. Is that kind of what he's saying, you think? No. 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 No, I think he's saying that people are trying to get the ball more than they're trying to make a hard tackle. Not, not necessarily like a head Because They've kind of shifted a little bit. But, but in my eyes, like, it, I think it's always been super important for defense to get the ball. I mean, that's that's your... No, your, no, I... I mean, yeah. Above everything else, the ball is your... You know what I mean? You want the ball. Because it, it, if you have to stay out there on the field four plays, right? So mm-hmm. three downs and a punt. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Or you can, on the first play, strip the ball and have the ball right there and not have to return a punt. What would you take? Well, clearly. You're taking the ball. Yeah. So, that I mean, that's why their defense, defensive players are taught, like, by any means necessary, get that ball. That's why on a fumble, you see that big pile of people and the person on the bottom is getting his fish hooked, getting his eyes gouged, getting his man parts grabbed. And, <laughs> and trust me, that's part of football. I mean, any means necessary to get that ball. Fingers, oh, in the pile, you get a hold of somebody's finger, ooh. <laughs> you better hope somebody. That's why a lot of guys, will t offensive linemen, will tape their fingers together. So they can't be. Uh, oh, well, you don't, yeah. that way you don't get it caught in a face mask. But in the pile, you're grabbing for anything that you can get, including the ball. And whatever you grab onto is what you grab onto. Yeah. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm well. Yeah. I, I, and part of it is I think that it's adaptation to the rule changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't play very long. I was injured fairly young, and my career came to a screeching halt, football. But uh, even now, I'm paying for leading with my head. My neck is so jacked up. Actually, I uh, was up at Grand Ronde last week and got an injection in my neck. Your daughter was in the room and, oh. and taking care of me, and, and very professional. Great, great care up there. It was really, really good. Good. So hopefully I'm on the mend. <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah. So, well, good. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I. It's funny be, to watch. I'm not funny, but they're they're trying to reduce. I mean, you see it in football all the time. They're mm -hmm. trying to reduce the impact of players for their own health and stuff. But you for 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 the tacklers or for whomever, it's muscle memory. I mean, you know, they. I mean, you you've been taught since you were eight years old or 10 years old, how to tackle a particular manner, you know? And, and so for them to change their style, not lead with their helmet, whatever the case might be. Yeah. But the guys that are like NFL age now, yeah. they've been taught their whole life to heads up tackle. It's been around long enough now that the guys that are in their early twenties, yeah. you know, thirties, well, well, they've been taught to keep their heads up and tackle. Yeah. Them. Apparently sometimes they forget. Well, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So I've just said, I don't, I yeah, don't think I, it's forgetting. I think it's just, just p p body positioning. You know what I mean? You can't always have your head up when you're tackling somebody. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it's just it going out the window. I think they're just in a position where, and some guys do it on purpose. I mean, there are some guys that are still dirty players. They're, yeah. they're, they really are that are doing helmet to helmet, but there's plays where you can clearly see that there was no intention of it being well, like and you can head down. You and, know what I mean? And it's you can see that. them pull off. That's the thing about it. You, you know, I mean, that's why I think I still believe it's muscle memory. They're like in the middle of a tackle, and or they're just right there, and then all of a sudden, they'll. I mean, at the last, the last possible microsecond, they're like pull away. But well, hey, let's shift. How's Union County? Union County is great. <laughs> you thinking about coming on this morning? I, I just thought of all the things that I wanted to visit about, and and uh, kind of reflecting on the year. Yeah, and it's been a it's been a pretty good year. Well, what do you feel good about? Um, well, probably most recently is uh, the uh, legislative branch and the and the executive branch finding the money to plow roads and do maintenance for Oregon Department of Transportation. And uh, that was, I mean, a lot of us worked very hard on that, trying to make sure that we had safe roads. Uh, 
No. We got a lot of good community input that, and I said, hey, here's the emails. Here's, you know, how you approach, I would approach it. I didn't tell anybody how to do it, but, you know, suggestions. And we had some folks write some really good, strong letters from this area to their legislators and to the uh, governor. Um, I'm really pleased that they were able to get that worked out because uh, when you when you look at the, the in my view, the, the charge of ODOT, safe transportation, and if those fog lines, and maybe not you, but people my age really use the fog lines a lot to make sure that we're staying in our lanes. Cars now, uh, Commissioner Scarfo brought this one up. It goes, some of those cars really can't function very well without a, a fog line on the road. So, so back up just a little bit mm -hmm. I, and tell us what happened. Give us a little bit more of the history okay, of the story. Okay, so yeah. um, as the <clears throat> second year of the biennium started, we're in the second year of the biennium, and it looked as though Oregon Department of Transportation was going to be significantly short on funding. And there's a couple of reasons for that, in my opinion. One of them, probably most prominent, is they're supported by the gas tax, much like our public works road department is supported by the gas tax. And all the gas tax is paid, there's a split on it. 50% goes to the state, 30% goes to the counties, and then 20% goes to cities. So a 50, 30, 20 split mm -hmm. is what they call it. Well, they realized that they were going to be short, so they started cutting things. In eastern Oregon, one of them was the, the plowing of snow and de-icing and things like that. And then the other was maintenance, <clears throat> which includes fog line striping, um, some road repairs, things like that. They, but uh, the leadership in the legislature, and I will tell you, we have a really strong advocate in uh, Senator Steiner from Portland, and she's been to Eastern Oregon recently, and we've had some pretty serious discussions on a number of topics, and she really advocated to make sure that we had the fund, or ODOT had the funding to be able to carry on those, those roles. And so they, and I had heard that somewhere along the line, the part of the funding was going to allow for it to be plowed once a day. Was is that an extreme? Um, I I, I mean I okay. heard that multiple okay. times. Okay. Okay. I, and I sat through meetings, and that never came out of those meetings. Yeah. I think that was the interpretation by yeah. some folks. But the bottom was line was that a reduction there, in services, a reduction of plowing of roads. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And that was, and that's not just that. Is that primarily the interstate as far? Or state highways? State um, highways for the most part. Yeah, I mean, we planned on Union County roads plowing mm -hmm. the way that we have. Right. And there is a, a method to what we do in Union County. If you go on our website, it talks about how we prioritize what roads. It's not because we like you. It's not because someone important, important lives on that yeah, road. Right. There is a very specific hierarchy of roads and how they get plowed and, why, and when. Not how, but when they get plowed. And uh, public safety, uh, transportation, school bus routes in particular, uh, are high on the high on the list. So, so the state plows the interstate. Correct. What other roads? What other roads in Union County does the state? <clears throat> you know, would that have impacted? Um, for example, well, not for example. Here they are. Uh, the Union Highway, okay. Highway 30 is the, is state responsibility. Cove Highway, oh. um, Union to North Powder because that's a state highway as well. Um, 
Island City, actually LaGrande Island City, Island City to Embler, Embler to Elgin, and then up the branch one way, and then uh, over Tollgate the other way. That's uh, all their responsibility. Okay, all right. And so how did, I guess what the question I had was like, how did they land, how did they land on that decision thinking it wasn't going to impact us in a major way? And do they not know I, we get snow I, over here? I, I mean, no, that's, no, yeah. I can't answer that. I don't know. How, I, don't, I can't speak to their thought process. And I think if I did, I would probably get myself into trouble. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay, I will. Okay. Um, I think it was a calculated strategy. Okay. To make sure that they got the funding they needed. And if I tell you I'm not going to plow your roads and I'm not going to do maintenance on them and I'm not going to stripe them, it happened. People complained. And there was enough people complaining. They got what they needed. So then they got the funding from the people they needed the funding from that they were short of. Correct. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's okay. Well, at least it was a win. So, yes. so things have been restored or they're a little less than what they were? Or? Oh, no. They're, uh, as far as I can tell, we're at the same, what they call it, same service level. Um, so whatever we had the last couple of years, we're going to have this year. Yeah. Well, and, and interesting <clears throat> that they, they came out with that email just, what, like a month before winter begins or whatever it is? Yeah. Yep. And uh, Representative Levy uh, put together, she and her staff put together really, I thought, well-articulated letter. And I, don't, I can't remember how many county commissioners and, and mayors from across this region signed and sent to ODOT and said, this isn't going to work for us, uh, which is part of that pressure that was yeah. put on. So, yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, okay. But it, uh, one of the things that happened very, very quickly once they got the uh, funding secured is the Cove Highway, which got uh, chip sealed last summer, now has a fog stripe on it. And uh, again, a lot of folks from Cove. Uh, wrote really good articulate letters to the to the people that uh, make the decisions, and we had an, uh, another person who has a, a transportation company write a letter. Um, so it, I think it, it was a heavy lift by all of us to make sure we had the services we need to have safe transportation. Good. So what else do you feel good about this year? Oh gosh, um, I, I would like to say the uh, long le legislative session last uh, winter and spring, but. Um, it was, as you remember, t fairly tumultuous, but there were some really positive things that did come out of that. And um, the AgriStress hotline, I think I've talked about it before on here or, or not? To remind us. Okay, AgriStress hotline is, um, unfortunately, statistically speaking, the uh, uh, agriculture, natural resources, farming, ranching, farm work has a really high suicide rate. And so there is a specific number that you can call and get help from people that can relate to you or have similar backgrounds rather than a general uh, national number. Um, it's kind of a subset of the national number, and we can get folks the, the help they need uh, for suicide prevention. And that was um, a lot of folks working on that. Uh, Commissioner Nash in Willow County, he was really the lead on that for uh, the counties. And uh, it's a really good, strong program that they've got. And I do have the number if you're interested. Okay. Yeah. We'll put, it, we'll put it in the comments. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, man.
You bet. Anyway, that, I feel really good about that as part of the long session. Um, we've got um, some really good negotiations that happen with what's called the uh, landowner contribution for Oregon Department of Forestry. Again, in my view, and, and this is just from the seat that I, I work from, the governor had a, uh, some very specific priorities, uh, housing and homelessness, uh, public education, and um, gosh, I just drew a blank on the last one, uh, mental health, sorry. And to me, it was as though if, if the state agencies didn't fall under one of those categories, they were really scrambling to figure out how they were going to balance their budget. Um, and Oregon Department of Forestry, ODOT, just two examples of those that were really going to take some of that load and shift it to the local communities, which mm -hmm. was troubling to me. And, and again, we just talked about ODOT. And then Oregon Department of Forestry, their leadership in Salem made some decisions that were going to really put a pretty heavy burden on the landowner. Whereas from my view, that service that's provided that they're paying for really helps all Oregonians mm -hmm. and not just the landowner. So uh, again, Senator Steiner was really, she's chair, co-chair of Ways and Means, which is really the, the money side the purse. of yeah. the purse strings of yeah. the legislature. And she met with us, uh, we met in Ontario, gosh, probably a month and a half, two months ago, and said, hey, this is some of our concerns. This is why we're, we're really worried about this. And she had put together a, a small committee to figure out a solution, and I think the one that they've got is going to be really workable, and be more than happy to share that too. Cool, yeah. awesome. All right, yeah. what else, man? Um, just got back last week from the Oregon Business Summit. Excuse me, Oregon Business Plan Summit. Been going on uh, for 21 years. The, um, 1,200 people in the in the Moda Center uh, for a, a day of information on business in Oregon and how to promote business in Oregon and some of the really good things that are going. Fairly metro-centric. Um, they talked a lot about the, uh, <clears throat> the downtown, the work they're doing on the city center is what they're calling it in Portland and literally investing millions and millions of state and local dollars into correcting some problems that have really gotten out of hand down there. Um, but they, a lot more policing, um, a lot more mental health services, and, and what they're trying to do is get people off the streets and uh, revitalize downtown. A couple of things they're doing is they're working on getting the plywood off the windows of the buildings. That were, if you remember the, the riots of 2012. When was that the summer of 2020? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. It's like it all just blurs together, yeah, doesn't it? Does, it does, yeah. yeah. So they're working on, on getting that uh, really downtown cleaned up. Um, uh, Boyle, who's uh, president of, of Columbia Sportswear, mm -hmm. has invested a lot of his own money, and he is what he calls self-proclaimed garbage king. He wants the garbage cleaned up. He wants the graffiti cleaned up. And there's, uh, he's got a coalition of business owners that's working to that end to get the, get the city really cleaned up. Felt a little left out at that point in the conversation yeah. about you know, what we need to do to, to you know, improve things here in Eastern Oregon and in particular Union County. But um, the, the other thing that I was a little bit surprised about is 
Chair Vega Peterson from Multnomah County, Mayor Wheeler from Portland, and, and Governor Kotek, all three of them stood side by side, one right after another, saying that we need to make public use of hard drug or drugs illegal in the state of Oregon again, which I thought was interesting when you, you know, there's been this debate recently about uh, reforming or rescinding ballot measure 110, the, the one that made drugs, uh, decriminalized drugs. And I thought, man, that's a great step in the first sec the first great first step in the right direction. Then I was visiting with somebody and they said, it's a smokescreen. Looks like they're doing something, but really, you know, when you especially look at Union County, do you see a lot of drug use on our in public? No, they're right. Right. No. Certainly we have a problem, but it's not a public use problem. No. And they said, this looks like those folks are really, you know, taking a hard stand doing something, but they're not helping us. Yeah. Um, you know, there is, a, a, to a degree, an amount of uh, public drug use in, in other places, but that really, I would suggest, is the tip of the iceberg rather than the root of the problem. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you yeah. don't see people sitting... At a bus stop in La Grande, hitting a crack. No, pipe. but you no. might import them. Well, and, and <laughs> I didn't see them using. I saw the effects of, of a person using, which I had not seen before. And walking from the the uh, motor center back to my motel, um, someone was clearly zombied out. Just... Oh, yeah, just actually, yeah, hand on the ground, yeah. holding themselves up, completely tipped over. That's opiates for yeah. sure. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's someone else that I trust and know said, yeah, that's clear sign of fentanyl use. Absolutely. So, um, it's crazy. They look, they look like they're just frozen, huh? They're just like... It's... Yeah. I'm like, how do they breathe? I mean, <laughs> bent over like that. And I... <laughs> Who I knows? Don't. Yeah. So, so what part... And yeah, and it's... It, I never thought I'd get to a place where I would be walking by yeah. people like that. And the other thing that I never thought I'd be is where I have Narcan in my vehicle, in my home, <laughs> in my office. Right. And I, I have Narcan fairly close. I have it in my backpack all the time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the discussions that I had, uh, you know, in relationship to 110 is because I really don't think there's going to be any major changes in, I don't think that the legislature has the willpower to do it. I think it's probably going to need to go back to a vote of the people. But um, one of the things that I'm really hoping that comes out of this and is treatment. And you're probably old enough, I'm not sure you are, but Coke had a, had a, a philosophy or a, a corporate goal that anywhere in the world you could, you could get a Coke. Mm. Remember that? Right, yeah. yeah. That is really kind of what I'd like to see in Oregon in particular for treatment. If you need treatment, we can get you into it. Yeah. It's not like, well, there's a three-month wait, and we'll get you into it as soon as we can. Right. Because we're losing people. They are dying while they're waiting to get into treatment, if they happen to choose that. But <clears throat> right. there's also some information that I read recently is that some of these folks, that their addiction and the effects of that addiction are so intense that they have lost capacity to make the decision. You know, they always say you hit rock bottom. Right. They have. They are to the point where, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to recognize rock bottom. Right. So, um, it's yeah, it's clearly a problem, and and I don't have a ton of solutions, but um, I would suggest that what we're doing right now is not doing anybody any favors. Well, and that 
I get, and I, I mean, I hope that treatment comes out. I mean, we've talked about that. We had uh, uh, Chief Bell and Jason Hayes, mm -hmm. Lieutenant Jason, the other day on the show, and he had. I mean, it was a really great discussion about this whole topic. Um, but I, my, my thing is, is like, yeah, I hope that treatment comes out of there. But, but as you know, treatment programs take years yes. to build up. I mean, it just takes that infrastructure. It takes a long time. And certainly we have motivation to do that now. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, right, people are dying. Right. I mean, literally just it's, the lives are just clicking by, yep. you know. And there's two major strikes against us when it comes to treatment. First off, money. Money being the number one issue, and then Maya's the other. The, the other big thing is people misuse treatment. A lot of people misuse treatment, and and I'm I'm saying this from not only an outside but also an inside. I've been in treatment before for alcohol, and I saw people come in there that didn't need to be in there. That were there because they didn't have somewhere to live, uh -huh. and and it happens quite often, especially during the cold time of year. And, and I don't know how they break through the cracks, but you see people in there and you're like, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Like, wh wh what are you trying to do? You know? And, and so it becomes like uh, uh, one of those landing places, like they're, they're called frequent flyers. It's people that have been in treatment 25, 30 times. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and mm. they just, they're just milking the system. It's kind of like somebody that milks welfare. And that takes up a bed from somebody that's out there dying, you know what I mean? Possibly dying from fentanyl or, yeah. or any any other substance for that matter. Yeah. Yep. Well, all right. So from the business part of that thing that you went to, mm -hmm. was there anything, were there any takeaways for us out of that that you got? Oh, most certainly. And that is really, and it's this goes back to a fairly old um, strategy, and that is um, Oregon being they called it the landmark of quality. Um, and that is when you look at those those flagship big corporations in Oregon, they really kind of put us on the map, whether it be Tillamook Cheese for their high quality, Nike for their innovation, um, and um, Columbia Sportswear. And you look at Orida in, on the east side and some of the agricultural products we've got here, uh, Walchley, Hermiston Watermelon Company, those kinds of things where they really not only produced a, a, a product that people wanted, but it was of the highest quality as well. And that was something that, that went on there. And then also, um, we, I, as I was sitting there listening, and they had panel, multiple panel discussions, a uh, LeGrand, former LeGrand resident, uh, I think he grew up here, uh, Rob Stewart, um, was uh, one part of the discussion, and he's... Uh, on point community credit union and, and he had a lot of good things to say. The keynote speaker was a really great takeaway and I've seen you know between FFA and, and national conventions and state conventions heard a lot of really good keynote speaker and this one had a really interesting concept. Um, name is Derek Thompson, he's a writer, he's on uh, national public radio for a number of things, he's got a, a podcast and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. but. His premise was that as far as business go in the United States, we've had really three different ways about looking at the environment. And one is build at all costs. And we built railroads. We built a nation, really. Uh -huh. And then we realized, wait a second, rivers shouldn't be on fire. Uh -huh. And that was 
late 60s, early 70s, when you saw the, the effects of all that building, unchecked building, and then we got into the regulation and, and preservation of it, and got to the point now, it's very difficult to build anything because of all the re regulatory things that are in place. And his suggestion was that we move to the next phase, which is we need to be able to build and create things and care for our environment without hamstringing ourselves in the process. We uh -huh. need to be able to do these things and move business forward, manufacturing forward, provide the goods and services to people rather than shipping it to another. Our problems are, or I think we've got probably stronger laws in many places that we could do it here and do it cleaner than somewhere else. Yeah. But it, yeah, really interesting keynote speaker. Well, and I, I find that that is the subtlety of the importance of manufacturing locally, whatever that might be, or bigger companies locally. It's, 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 it's difficult for the common person to really get their head around why that's important. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it provides them a job or whatever, but I mean, the, uh, that's a, that is a subtlety that is harder for people to understand because they may or may not be able to relate. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a businessman or a business operator or if you're trying to operate a manufacturing company, then you, you have a keen understanding of the taxes that you pay and those, you know, the cost of doing business and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But their employers, their employees, they, they don't have that same appreciation. They don't have that same understanding. But... It, man, it's what makes the wheels go around. I mean, if to a large you don't, degree, yeah, yeah, and and Oregon has shot itself in the foot a lot. I mean, there are manufacturers that are moving out of Oregon just because it's too expensive to do business in Oregon, right? So, or expanding places other or, than, or Oregon. they can do it cheaper. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but and and part of what I I really enjoy about going to these is the networking is mm -hmm. what they call sure. it now. I mean, visiting with people and. And being able to, after the sessions were over, they had a, a um, the university colleges and universities all had booths set up, and, and the innovations in the program they've got. Really great to see uh, President Ryan and, and Tim Seidel there. Uh, the folks from the Rev Center, uh, Grace Donovan was there talking about the things that are unique, especially to Eastern Oregon University, and all the the really good strong programs they've got going on there. And then after that, there was a, a, a kind of a Oregon-grown products, um, and I was able to visit with some folks, A, county commissioners from different parts of the state, which I always learn a lot of different things. You know, how are you dealing with this problem? Has this become an issue? Had a really good visit with the, uh, one of the county commissioners from Lake County, who is a, the first certified, if I'm getting this correct, first certified uh, carbon neutral county in the state and they are producing more energy than they're consuming and um, they're working on uh, a lot more solar arrays and uh, renewable sustainable energy that was a really good conversation learned a lot there um, had a, a good conversation with a couple of different legislators about what's coming up in the session to include transportation and uh, also um, the evening prior to the the, uh, the summit, I was able to go to Commissioner, former Commissioner Jayapal's kickoff for running for uh, federal 
House of Representatives. I was wondering why she stepped down. I didn't know that that was the reason. I was yep. going to ask you about that. Yep. So their <laughs> charter is such that if you are running for another office and you've um, got campaign income over $5,000, you're required to immediately give up your seat. And theirs is a little bit different. And I don't know that she, it was entirely her decision, but I know it was mostly her decision to name her successor. Huh. And I was able to meet him there and, and introduce myself to him. Um, I don't think it's any secret that I was by far the most conservative person in that room. <laughs> oh, well, obviously. <laughs> um, was that weird? Is that weird? Is it you weird know, it, it wasn't. I mean, it, it, part of it was it was a very celebratory event. Um, had, and I'm, I think you both know that I tend to be a back of the room kind of person. Yeah. When I first get there, and I was standing towards the back of the room, and, and commissioner, former Commissioner Jayapal came in kind of a side back door. And she saw me and she said, oh my gosh, you, you came. And I said, yes. And she goes, for this? And I said, well, I left much earlier than I would have to be here for this. But I said, I have another meeting tomorrow. And she says, I've got to get up there. But she goes, don't be surprised if I mention you in my speech. And I'm mm. like, really? And so they, uh, during the introductions, the, the MC recognized that I had traveled the farthest to be there. And then uh, in her her speech kicking off her campaign, she talked about the things that she learned in Union County and how it was important to reach out to people that have differing views. And, and like I said, the people that engaged with me there were very friendly and curious to a large degree, uh, you know, about what my experiences were in, in Multnomah County and, and what some of my takeaways were from, from that experience that we had last summer. Interesting. Yeah. So do you think do you think people on the west side just don't even think about us? I mean, you know, I'm I mean, I'm talking about this general thing of of they're making decisions that are not respective of us, whatever that might be. Or they do they do they even do we even come to their mind? I mean, do they do they presume that all of Oregon is like what they're experiencing? Or do they just, I mean, what, what do you think goes on in the mindset of somebody in leadership on that side of the state? Um, I would suggest that it, it's in, very, very individual. Yeah. Um, I know I've used her name a couple of different times, but Senator Steiner, um, again, chair of, uh, co-chair of Ways and Means, which is the, the purse strings for the state. Yeah. Um, she's been in, and I don't know whether it's just because of the topics that she's picked up or it's because of the meetings I happen to be in, but she was with, you know, I talked about the Oregon Department of Forestry, Oregon uh, Department of Transportation, and then the other one is we talked to her because she has a lot to do with the policy that comes out of the finances of the state. Um, there is um, fairground funding, which I've been really advocating for fairly hard. All the entire time I've been in office, <clears throat> at one point there was a 1% net of the uh, lottery went to fairgrounds. And then that went on for a number of years. Fairgrounds really were improving and they got to the point where they thought, whoa, 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 we're giving fairgrounds way too much money. So they ended up capping it. And then that cap has been in place for a number of years and never changed. What we're advocating for is because those fairgrounds not are, are not necessarily one week in the summertime 
but year-round they're used. Um, weddings, um, social events, um, concerts. And to a large degree, it's one of the very first go-to places for emergency management, whether they be fire camps or when we had the outbreak of COVID, that's where we went for our testing. Right. And there was just no question that that's, you know, was an available space. So, um, the, and it's relatively new. It's been around for a while, but it's had gone through some iterations recently. And that's the Department of Emergency Management for the state of Oregon is now on its own. It was under the military department oh, and now they're off on their own. And we had a great meeting with the director the other day and, and they really wanted to focus on and utilize fairgrounds as that go-to place and make sure that that, and they're going to advocate for that 1% to come to the fairgrounds all over the state because um, there's 36 fairgrounds. Technically, Multnomah County doesn't have a, a county fairgrounds. They've got, um, oh gosh, I just drew a blank on the name, Park, um, that they use for their fairgrounds, but it's, it's not a traditional fair like you would think it's more of a carnival type setting. Mm -hmm. um, and then in uh, Marion County, they share the state fairgrounds, uh, Marion County and state fairgrounds. So that's, uh, that's where we come up with the number. But that 1% could really get fairgrounds really across the state into much better shape to be able to utilize for those functions. Now, does some of that, do they keep track of the lottery dollars that come out of Union County and we no. get a portion of that or is it just it's it's a flat percentage of the uh, net mm -hmm. and that would be one percent yeah so uh, to answer your question yeah sorry, no I, no I follow I, yeah yeah poor Dodsy's yawning I'm boring no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bored. I'm not bored. I, I, I can kind of go down, well, I kind of, I fairly often go down rabbit holes think, uh, talking about things. But, and again, individuals are, I mean, individuals. I mean, how often in your daily life do you think about what am I doing that's going to affect, and how's that going to affect the people that live in Portland or Salem or Eugene? Or, right. <clears throat> right. And, it, and I mean, and you'd have to, I mean, if you were a governor or a state person making decisions, you would you would constantly have to be intentional about how is this decision I'm how is it going to affect everybody right. right and and to that point and I will give and we don't agree on many things right. but I will give our governor really a lot of credit for going to every single one of the 36 counties her very first year in office right which started January ish so she and she's already completed it been to all 36 counties and when she was here we had good discussions and I think. I'm not saying we move the needle a long ways, but I think she probably understands Union County better than she did before she was here. Well, and I think that is super important. If, if not, even if you don't change an opinion, you become aware, you show up out here. You know, I mean, Bobby Levy tells a story of helping some of the, some of the people that she's had influence over understand the vastness of Eastern Oregon and how that relates to wolves. And when they get up in an airplane and they go like, oh, now I see why it's not really possible for you to defend your livestock, right. you know? And uh, so anyhow, but it, it you just become aware. Yeah. It's like, wow, I just never knew, you know? It's kind of like the first time you drop down into 
the Snake River Canyon or whatever it is. What, and what's the little town out there uh, on the other side of Joseph? You know, you go down and to the, to the hole like you're going towards Snake River. Imnaha? Um, Imnaha. First time you drive down at Imnaha, and then it's like, you just, it's so vast. That vast was the word that I was going to use yeah. to describe it. Yeah, that's a big chunk of real estate out there. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and you like, yeah, so it's, anyhow, it's just, you can't really understand that until you get there. Yeah. Well, Paul, anything else before we wrap up? Um, thank you for having me on. Merry Christmas to both of you. Yeah. Um, hope your New Year is, is good, and um, I know I, I say it fairly often on this show, but I love my job, and if uh, folks have concerns or, or want to get a hold of me, that uh, it's 541-963-1001, and the agri-stress, I can't, I can't promote that nearly enough, and I'm just thankful for the community I live in and the health care we've got, the people that live here, and, and uh, I think I'm a very fortunate person. Good. Well, we're, I've said this often, but we're glad to have you. Glad Thank to you. have you representing us. And uh, I like you guys. I like the mix that uh, that the three of you represent. So, so thanks I very think much. We complement each other very well. I think so too. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Well, you want to get us out of here? Yeah. But before I do, tomorrow five thirty. Uh, keeping it clear with Cody Bowen. We're having special guest Mayor Rock, and we're going to talk about just some of the you know stuff between county and city but we also all three went to school together we're almost all the same age and you know we've known each other for a long time so it should be an interesting show <laughs> a wild ride yeah <laughs> two people that you would have never thought were, would be <laughs> the sheriff and, and the mayor yeah. It's, yeah it's crazy and taught to strip footballs yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh boy paul <laughs> Oh, and I'll have a video for you on Thursday, too. <laughs> Anyways, on this day, 1843, today is December 19th. 1843, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is published. 6,000 copies were sold. Huh. On this day in 1917, the first NHL game, National Hockey League game, ever played on artificial ice in Toronto. So they always played on ponds. Hmm. But they actually played on artificial ice hmm. for the first time. 20, 100 and what, six years ago. 106 years they've been playing on artificial ice. 1998 on this day, U.S. House of Representatives votes to impeach President Bill Clinton over the Lewinsky scandal following the articles of impeachment to the Senate for a trial. That's, that, that was great. That whole thing with Bill. I, I liked Bill. Yeah, what year was that? That was uh, 1998. 98, okay. Yeah, my wow. year after I graduated high school. Yeah. I didn't mind Bill Clinton. I thought he was, I mean, he, he obviously made some bad decisions, but he yeah. wasn't a horrible president. He was a Rhodes Scholar, very sharp guy. St didn't him and uh, Hillary meet at Harvard? Yeah, I don't know. Ivy League. He's an Ivy League dude, for yeah. sure. No, yeah, no, he's, a, he's an intelligent dude. 2018, on this day, the first use of drones to deliver vaccines, the island of Aramango, Vanuatu, by UNICEF. So they used drones to deliver Vaccines, I don't know what kind of vaccines, but, you know, we were talking about the first drone delivery was in 2016 mm -hmm. by Amazon. Well, that, that, they finally started using it for something a little more, uh, you know, more pertinent, you know, yeah. delivering vaccines to remote places. But, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to get 
stuff to some of these places. I don't know exactly where that island is, but it's probably somewhere that's not easy to access, yeah. I would imagine. 2019, on this day, earliest fossilized trees, 386 million years old, are found at a quarry in Cairo, New York. Study published in Current Biology. 386 million year old fossilized trees. It's a long time. That's a long. If we think about how long we're alive compared to that number. Yeah. My goodness. A blink. Number one song in America on this day in 1983. Say, say, say by Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. That's hmm. why I was listening to Michael Jackson this morning. I heard you listening. Yeah. It was like yeah. he, he was one of the... You were playing out of out of my life. Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, that yeah. ballad. And it's like, man, yeah. what is that coming out of his speaker? <laughs> I, I, I like my <laughs> Quote of the day comes from Samuel Bennett. If you don't know where you are currently standing, you're dead. <laughs> One more time. If you don't know where you're currently standing, you're dead. Samuel Beckett. All righty. That's it. Tomorrow, 530. Keeping it clear with Cody Bowen. Live right here. Right here. Thanks, Paul. Thank you both. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate yeah. it. Merry Christmas. It. We'll see you guys soon.